Welcome to the Airgun Geeks podcast. All topics talked about on this podcast are solely of our opinion and for entertainment purposes. My name is Patrick. Hi, I'm Adam. And how How geeky geeky do you you want want us to get? get? Welcome to episode three. We're going to talk about barrels and twist rates and why they are what they are. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm very good. Had a good week. Yeah, I hear you. It's, it's uh, starting to get a little cold here in January in Ohio. Yes. Wow. All right, so let's dig into this. How is rifling put in to a barrel? So traditionally, there's four methods. You've got button cut, single point cut, brooch, and hammer forge. Now, button cut is literally where a button that has one single, usually one single land and groove, land, groove, actually on a button that gets pulled through the barrel. So it's a cold swage process, which adds stresses to the barrel. Um, Usually in the powder burning world, those stressors then have to be removed. In the air rifle world, I will have to apologize, but I wasn't able to find out if those stresses actually do get removed. Mm. So that could explain why some of these manufacturers' barrels are better like between Walther Walther, Vortact, and other companies. Then you have single point, which is basically a cutting process. So in that case, you're rifling. Again, you've got your barrel. It's already cut the length, maybe a little bit longer, and will actually have a cut put into it. So it's a machining process. Then a brooch is kind of a combination of the two, where it's a swaging with a cut at the same time. Then finally, you have hammer forging which is where you take a big donut of steel and you beat the tar out of it to get it to take your rifle and your form and your shape. And that actually adds stresses, but it also hammer works or actually work hardens the barrel, making it more durable. So it's the hardest one to do, but some of the best barrels come from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree there. Yeah, yeah. All right, so just to stay on Hammer Forge for a second, yeah. So they put something in there? Yes, and then they actually have these, literally these giant hammer forges. So it's basically, if you ever watch a video where they're doing hot forging of steel, uh-huh. where you've got the two clamps are coming down and slamming together. Yep, you've got a donut of steel with a rod in the middle, and they're beating it together. Well, cold forging, cold hammer forging is what most barrels are done. It's not hot, so it's not a cherry red piece of steel. It's easy to work. So you're Beating it and pummeling it into shape. So, but yes, you do have a rod in there. Wow. Well, that's got to be a noisy process. <laughs> Inexpensive. The equipment for it is massive, huge, and very expensive to get into. Yeah, but not so much done in air gunning. No, but there is one that's very similar, which would be like FX's liner system. Uh-huh. So it's not a hammer forge in the sense of you're taking and you're actually hammering two pieces of a hammer and an anvil together. But they are doing an external swaging process, which is a very similar concept of you're pushing it from the outside to force the rifling. So just with the FX liners, there's nothing in the center. They're just doing an external press process. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's why it's a very important, especially on that barrel when cleaning it, not to be sticking rods down there and, and things like that versus other barrels. Um, but we can get into cleaning the each barrel uh, conversation another time. 
So does it matter on length when it comes to how they're made? So on the actual overall length of a barrel, that's more for tuning and getting your velocity versus, you know, it actually having a massive impact. So people say, well, a shorter barrel will shoot better. That's more of a harmonic, harmonic balance in how the barrel will move. Because even though we have recoilless rifles with air guns, you put a weight on it, a moderator, and you start just any vibration, it can travel down that length. So you can see it with stiffer barrels, or actually you'll see it less with stiffer barrels, versus like a shrouded system where you just have spacers that hold everything together and it's light and it's thin. So that's why you actually see this more, this move toward to getting like carbon fiber sleeves or shrouds because that's stiffer than just aluminum. Mm -hmm. You know, a question I get uh, all the time at work and talk to them about it is, is a shorter barrel have a faster twist rate? And I'm like, no, it's still one in 32 or whatever it is. It's just a shorter runway. It's still the same, the same twist. So that's, uh, that's interesting. You said what you said that that's good information. A lot of people ask that. I don't know if you get the same questions at work too. I do actually, you know, um, and yeah, we, I get, I get tons of questions of why is one gun better than the other because of the barrel? Does it make a difference? And it's like, well, it depends on what you want to shoot and what's available for that manufacturer. So good. Those are good questions to ask when researching a, a, a pellet rifle for yourself. So now I know um, the other day we were actually talking about the Hard Air Magazine article, Pellet Twist Rates and Stability. Mm, yes. So on that, um, at least my takeaway, that I was a little... I won't say upset at the article, but they talked more about slug stability. And when they finally got to the talk about pellet stability, they talked about it being drag stabilized versus gyroscopically stabilized. So in this article, they actually talked about how it's one over the caliber of twist rate. So like the optimum twist rate for a pellet would be one in 17.7. So it was very interesting when you see some of these other manufacturers are 1 in 18, 1 in 22, 1 in 16, 1 in 14. It's going to be interesting seeing like the next 10 years how that plays out. Yeah, it sounds like that would play with if you got a 1 in 14, you'd want to be shooting a 13 grain pellet or something out of that. You know, uh, interesting because um, let's see, FX 22 is what is it, 1 in 32? Do I uh, think? The one in 24. One in 24. So then that would go along with what you just said. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. So they're going to see how geeky people get with that. You know, we're asked that all the time. Like, well, I want to shoot that. Well, you can't shoot that. That's That's too heavy for the twist rate that you have, which is currently like uh, FX is talking about uh the different twist rates for their pellet liner and then they have their superior liner which we'll get into why is it superior in a second and then you have the heavy liner and the big difference there is twist rate and choke even i've we just i just found this out not too long ago even the the slug liner has a slight choke to it so interesting that i wouldn't have expected that because General rule of thumb is in the air gun world, 
You don't want to choke on a slug because you don't want to constrict it because you have all that extra bearing surface. Correct. So there's a little bit of choke to it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yep. Someone asked. I didn't know. I called and talked to them, and they're like, yep, just a slight choke at the end. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. So what makes the, we'll say, first-generation STX barrel different from the superior barrel? So besides a slightly different twist rate, the actual biggest change was in manufacturing tolerances and precision. So a deeper, potentially deeper cut in the rifling or actually press in the rifling, a more consistent press. So then it might even be the same twist rate, but it's actually how precise it is over the whole length because it can be a 1 in 24 twist, but there's manufacturing tolerances at like 1 in 23.9, 1 in 24.1. It's, you have manufacturing tolerances. There's manufacturing tolerances in depth. So superior is just more consistent, more precise, more repeatable. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's some good videos on that. So if you're an FX guy, you know about Matt Dubber. Just look up his channel. And uh, he, he talks pretty uh, pretty nerdy about all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, there's there's been a big improvement on that. Um, and then you, you were mentioning slugs. And that's a whole nother world in itself compared to shooting pellets. And it's up and coming. It's growing fast. We got all types of manufacturers now, different grains, diameters. It's it's really technical. You can't, because I get the question all the time, well, just send me some slugs. Well, what do you have? What's the diameter you're looking for? And, it, and they're like, uh, there's a lot more questions you need to have answers to before you go back be go doing that now if you luck out and and call and happen to get adam and i we have a pretty good knowledge of what what seat in the ballpark what section you should be in but even then it, it, he can have one and i can have the other of the same gun and they're still slightly different yeah, would you would you not agree absolutely yeah i mean it's just like well the new air venturi avenger that came out oh yeah so have you seen the rifling in there <sighs> It looks like a Model 66 rifling, and I actually have a Model 66, and they do look the same. Now, the other crazy thing besides that is it's got no crown. It's literally flat-faced. And it's like, um... Which goes against all general consensus, but it shoots. Oh, and yeah. it shoots well. Yeah. I would say what it... Uh, our favorite caliber is so far the 22. We've shot both. And what do we get? In, what would you say? Sub sub MOA at a hundred? Um, well, three quarter. Done, I was gonna say I haven't done too much at a hundred, but I'm get, definitely getting sub MOA at fifty five yards. There you go. Okay. Which, okay. I mean, getting that is phenomenal out of a gun that's well twelve cut, basically a micro groove looking button cut. Yep. You've got no crown, and the thing shoots lights out which is phenomenal so yeah it's going out to 100 yards haven't done it but 55 yards the uh the pest population has not done too well in my area the the bird count is high (laughs) the bird count is high around here yes yes yeah i would agree i would agree uh and and that's the infamous uh don't stick a dewey rod down the barrel of a 22 avenger because you'll be buying a new barrel and a new Dewey rod. Don't ask me how I know that. 
Uh, I would suggest um, we primarily use the, the patchworm yes. 99% of the time. It's great even for firearms, but uh, primarily in our FX guns, uh, the, your raw you have. It's just a really cool system that I wish I would have thought of, and it does a good job. And um, the lube we use, you could use, what, FP10 or, or F- uh, Ballastol? FP10, um, anything that's 100% silicone oil, just so you don't have those petroleum distillates that can cause problems inside your guns. Yeah. Well, FP10 and, and Ballastol have those in there. So does that, is that going to bother? Because you just said only silicone. So... The formula for those two particular products, for whatever reason, it's such a low count that you don't actually get the dieseling effect on these PCP guns. You don't get that hot rod pop because these guns aren't designed for those kind of pressures. Mm -hmm. And I know usually dieseling gets talked about with brake barrels or springers, but you can still experience it. I mean, I don't ever recommend it, but if you really want to try it, again, it's not recommended. Take a little petroleum jelly and put it on the back of a pellet and see what it does <laughs> on a PCP. Uh, make sure your neighbors know. Yeah. Or just have it turned up too high and put a lighter pellet in. Don't ask me how I know that one last week. Mm-hmm. Sort of does the old sonic boom downrange. <laughs> yeah, ask them who's going to use to do that with. <laughs> It'd be the, what was that? Uh, that was the that was the crown that was 30. Yes. No, 22. 22. 22. I put a polymag in there and he had it set up for slugs. Oops, but it was fun. It was loud. Yeah, that was all it was. <laughs> it was not accurate. <laughs> we were drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. So some resources we talked about was like the hard air uh, articles are always a good resource. Uh, a good resource for information is um, Pyramid Air has uh, articles by Tom Gaylord. Pier- Fantastic the- articles. Well-written. Uh, and if you didn't know, you know you've never heard of uh, uh, American Air Gunner. You know he's the godfather of air gunning, so it's you could take it you know as gospel. Um, Vol Vortec 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 V O R T A K T dot com. Good information on just uh, barrels and twists and stuff. If you really want to start learning about that uh, a little more in depth, um, so. When, what was part of that article, they were talking about stabilization, which we were talking earlier was rather interesting. So this goes back to that being a, in the slug world, you need a, basically to have a slug to be stabilized through the transonic region, you need to be over a stabilization factor of one. Now, in that world, in the slug world, you're basically looking for like a 1 in 14, 1 in 16, or 1 in 18 twist to stay stable. Now, if you're always subsonic, it doesn't matter as much because you'll see you'll have a stabilization curve. So as your velocity decreases, you'll actually have a drop in your stabilization. Through the transonic region, it looks like a hard line. And if that hard line crosses the basically the stabilization factor of 1, then you destabilize. And that's when you'll see it go wild and go anywhere. If you can manage to keep it stable through that transonic region, you can still have a good shooting pellet or slug. Pardon me. Now, we don't often shoot air guns supersonic with slugs. I mean, the general rule of thumb is you don't really want to go over 1,000 feet per second, which means you don't need to have a real high twist rate to try to keep it stable through that transonic region, which for those that don't know, transonic 
is when you pass through subsonic to supersonic, that little Mach 1 sweet spot, or really it's, it's the hated spot of shooting. So with air guns, we just stay below it. With powder-burning guns, they try to stay above it for as long as possible. So when you look at it, you can have, in 22, and that's the most common one because that's the most common slugs out there for air guns, you'll see a lot of 1 in 16 twist rates because that's been found to be the best twist rate as long as you stay subsonic to be stable through the entire path. And you'll have, you know, in general, and we talked about, you know, weight and that makes it longer. In general, 1 in 16 will do a lot of different weights in 22. You just have to have the power to push them hard enough to get them to start being stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where tuning comes in. Yes. And is your gun capable of even pushing that fast as all the questions we get at work, like brake barrels and slugs. I don't recommend it personally, but go ahead and try it. Just make sure you don't get it stuck in the barrel. You know, <laughs> been there many times. All right. Well, did you have any more to add to this topic, Adam, that I'm not thinking of right now? At this time, I don't think I do. Thank you, though. Cool. All right. Well, again, thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to us chat. Uh, If you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to email us at airgungeeks.com. And again, thanks for listening.